Social Daily. Welcome to Friday's Football Social Daily as we career towards another bumper Premier League weekend. Scores to be settled at either end of the top flight table and in historic old rivalries as well. Some say that Manchester United against Liverpool is the biggest game in world football and after recent years where Jurgen Klopp's side were the top dogs in the northwest, the Ten Hag's United head into a derby game at Anfield as favourites for the first time in a long time. To be honest, anyone would be favourites against Chelsea at the moment, even lowly Leeds, who the Blues face this weekend. Graham Potter's having a torrid time right now. Will that shocking spell be sustained at Stamford Bridge on Saturday? And after Wembley disappointment against one Manchester club last Sunday, it's a game against another this weekend for Newcastle United. Can Eddie Howe's side get back on track following the final after their punctuated Premier League form heading into it? If they do, It'll be mighty pleasing to Arsenal as the title race rolls on. We're now into March, so let the madness begin on Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. This is your Friday Fast 3. We pick three tasty top-flight matches and run the rule in rapid time. My name's Niall, and joining me as ever this Friday morning, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. Did you enjoy your trip to Newcastle yesterday, lads? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, not bad. Long, long day, but worth it. Good uh, good content captured for the podcast. All about the podcast, aren't we? Yeah, well, Pascal is a great guest. Pascal Chimbonda, we were speaking to yesterday up in Newcastle. Very much in the shadow of St. James's, our football social daily Newcastle studio. And um, obviously a former Sunderland player, but he was a good laugh, wasn't he, in the end? He was, yeah. And uh, we didn't once talk about why or how he ended up at Sunderland, um, which I assume it was the <laughs> low light of his career. But yeah. <laughs> From uh, from going playing in the well being in the squad for a World Cup final and winning the trophy with Tottenham, you know, playing for Sunderland for six months is 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 just a footnote in his uh, in his interesting career. He was in the France squad, Joel, when Zidane landed that headbutt on Matarazzi in the 06 World Cup final, like an iconic moment. We heard from Trevor Stephen, who was on the pitch when Maradona punched the ball in the goal, and now we've heard from Pascal, who was there when Zidane ended his career in that mad way. Yeah, we're, we're getting a habit of uh, people who have been there in the moment. I think the next one will be the fan who got Kung Fu kicked uh, from Cantona next, the guy who sat next to him, potentially. Um, but yeah, like him, everyone seemed to miss it because it happened just way away from the run of play. But he had some interesting stories about you know what happened in the dre- uh, dressing room shortly after it and Zidane's reaction to it. So yeah, it was... It was insightful and just his uh, version of going past the World Cup trophy. I think all three of us were just reliving our childhood memories through him during that moment. But yeah, some really good, interesting stories coming from it. Yeah, Pascal, what a great guest he was. And you can hear our interview with Pascal Chimbonda, the former Spurs, Blackburn and Wigan Premier League player on Football Social Daily next Wednesday. So if you hit subscribe, that way you will not miss the episode. But for now, on FSD, we're going to look ahead to some of the weekend's games. We do this every Friday. If you've not joined us before, this is what we call Friday Fast 3. We pick three games, the three games that interest us the most in the top flight over the course of Saturday and Sunday, and we try and pick them apart in just five minutes. The lads will be against the clock, and the game we're going to start with first takes place at Stamford Bridge. It is Chelsea versus Leeds, and Leeds United, even though they're below Chelsea in the table, probably go into this game as favourites because Chelsea, under Potter at the moment, are in absolutely dreadful form. Yet, Marley, it doesn't feel like, at least to me anyway, that he's hugely at risk of the sack. We've got a new era at Chelsea, the whole 
Todd Bowley era is now underway. How close is this game against Leeds to being era-defining for the Chelsea we see now under Graham Potter? It's uh, it's a big one. I think they've as as much as we sort of don't expect Potter to be to be sacked so so quickly. Um, he he has to start winning because everyone's patience can be tested with with the results not going their way. You know they've, they've dropped off something insane. I think that when Potter came to Chelsea, there was there was signs straight away of his football uh, being a fit for the squad, and yeah, I think. He might have went five or six games unbeaten in the, in his first um, his first sort of few games, and and then it all just crashed and went straight off a cliff. And you know they they can't seem to string two passes together now. They they look very very beatable. Um, no no chemistry, no no gel of the of the attacking players, or you know ability to keep the ball out at the other end either. So it's they have to start winning soon because you know I think. With with new owners, like they're they're always rich, and I think rich people want everything now. It doesn't matter whether you're you know a high street tycoon or an oil banker or you own five of the world's top ten banks. You want whatever it is. You want it now. You want success now. You want trophies now. You want a squad that wins now. You want a coach now. Um, and the the fans have grown to know that as well over the last twenty years. You know they've been used to instant success. They've been used to managerial changes. Um, the it's probably even though they probably wouldn't like to admit this Chelsea fans, it has probably got ingrained in them over the last twenty years <coughs> that you can have success by having short term managers because somebody some at some point with the pull of Chelsea, somebody talented enough is gonna come along. It's not like Leeds switching the manager every six months and, and hoping that one of them cracks the top eight. Like that's a that's a long shot. But some managers out there can succeed with Chelsea. There are managers that can do it. Tuchel won the Champions League on six months' notice. You know, there was there's been times where uh, Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League in 2012. On you know, was he a temporary manager at the time or something like that? Yeah. Um, and then he was gone six months later. Exactly. So you know, <laughs> they're used to this. Um, so I I don't think he's completely untouchable right now because nobody knows really yet how long Todd Bowley's fuse is in terms of uh, his patience and, and things like that. So it's it's important for them to to win quickly and win well as well. If they smash Leeds 4-0, everyone, not everyone, but people might be like, okay, maybe it's starting to gel now. Maybe we, we looked good against Leeds and then people say, oh, it's only Leeds, but you can only beat what's in front of you. And so far this season, or for the last six, seven weeks, they haven't. If Chelsea do win, Joel, will that be a turning point for Graham Potter? Marley says maybe they just need to go and find a way to smash someone and if that happens to be Leeds maybe that might be the the cornerstone for them to kind of kick on and actually get things going under Potter because they need something it's hard to see because obviously they've had three wins in the last 17 games so on that basis I don't know if a win's going to actually change too much it seems like they need to just continue to try and gain some kind of momentum Um, and I just think with Graham Potter I don't see his job being in jeopardy any any anytime soon and that's purely because I think Todd Bowley's reputation matters to him too much where if he was to get rid of him before this season ends it almost looks as if he really doesn't have a clue what he's doing where you know he's giving five-year contracts out and then he doesn't believe in him after six months and then he has to go around the manager mill again and I think he wants to make Chelsea look like his Chelsea rather than the way in which Roman Abramovich 
and his strategy was, which is he was never afraid to hire and fire managers at will. Whereas I think with Todd Bowley, he wants to come across as someone who wants to build slowly. Uh, but I do think with the way in which Graham Potter's come in and how much of a transitionary period it's been for Chelsea, I mean, everyone I think is losing perspective of just how difficult it probably has been where it's changed over to completely new ownership. They've signed a, a ridiculous amount of players. No one's really left. Um, it's all the players from a previous manager and his ideas. And obviously Graham Potter's coming from Brighton, who their ambitions are around, you know, seventh, sixth place, which is an amazing achievement. So they're coming into Chelsea where their expectations, I'm not really, really sure what their expectations are, to be honest, this season. It almost feels like a free uh, crack at the whip and then see how they do next year. But I think for this game in particular, especially at home as well, they need to start making Stamford Bridge a very difficult uh, difficult place to come because I remember under Jose Mourinho he had an incredible home record I believe it was something along the lines of 78 79 games undefeated and right now that looks so far from the case so I think time's up time is up Jill time is up I just wonder how big this game is for Leeds as well because they know if they win they can distance themselves further from the relegation zone after Everton lost midweek and have now played a game more than them Bournemouth have got Arsenal at the weekend chances are they're not going to win that so a big game for Leeds as well as Chelsea this weekend in the Premier League right let's move on now and talk about the title race in fact because we're going to focus on the early kickoff on Saturday afternoon Manchester City versus Newcastle United and I was wondering Marley now that the cup final is over will we see Newcastle bounce back from defeat and refocus on Premier League form because it's fair to say that league form did take a little bit of a hit before the Wembley final it did, yeah. Um, I think our, our form stuttered, and you know we'll we'll never we'll never know what caused it. I suppose, um, but the obvious one there is is everyone saying, "Oh, they were focusing on the cup final." That might that might have been true, you know. Probably played some sort of part into it, but um, yeah, I mean we've we've got to then we've got to now refocus and, and reset, and the big characters in the squad have got to make sure that mentality comes back in because we've not won in a little while. We've drawn a few games and, and lost to Liverpool in pretty shambolic um, circumstances. Um, but yeah, the, we've got to take the positives. Like we, we, we played pretty well against Man, Man United in the cup final, I think. Um, we probably dominated most of that first half and then Casemiro's header changes the game and you know puts puts a whole different spin on things. But the positives are there um, and our, our, our you know the fact that we've lost three games in all comp, well, four games in all competitions all season, is something which you need to build on again because that you can't forget that. Um, there's a few injury knocks and, and worries, but I think the only real one we've got at the weekend is we're still missing Pope, um, but Dubravka will probably come back in. Um, even though I feel it's a little bit harsh on Carrius to be fair, because I think Dubravka's going to go in the summer anyway, and Carrius is more likely to stick around, so you might as well just play him. Um, but you know that's that's the only real issue. We'll get Bruno back, um, probably give Isaac a, a start up front, and take the positives from the last game against Man City because the game at St James's was an absolute trailblazer. It was just end to end, ended three three. Um, we should have won it. They probably feel that like they should have won it. Um, but we had a proper go at Man City, and and we they they, they did look a bit vulnerable, and then they went on to the rest of the season where they had that, that blip in recent weeks and I still don't feel that they're fully um, comfortable with this new system of mental tactics that, that Guardiola's playing, that 3-2-1, one, 
five weird formation it's bizarre but it is what it is you know they're 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 sort of getting used to it but they're not fully there so i think i think a brave team can can go and uh and cause them problems but it's away and it's Haaland and it's Grealish in form and it's De Bruyne and everything so it'd be tough but you know there's no way of getting momentum back into your season and refocusing they're going and beating Man City away like that's that's the carrot that's dangling on the end of the stick if Newcastle do beat Manchester City Arsenal as I've already mentioned play Bournemouth at three o'clock on Saturday Arsenal you expect will win that game if City don't beat Newcastle United that again is massive incentive for the Gunners to increase the points gap at the top of the Premier League table, Joel. So when you look at that in terms of the context of the title race, both teams are playing at different times. If Manchester City don't get a result here, they, they concede more ground to Arsenal in the title race. Yeah, but it works both ways as well. I always find it really interesting just the timings of when each of the teams play. So, you know, when City played just before Arsenal... Obviously, psychologically, it means that they're only two points behind and then it's almost the case of, well, can Arsenal respond to that? Can they withstand the pressure? Um, because City have been this, been in this kind of position for so many occasions in this last seven years where they've been chased down. They've had um, points way below, for example, Liverpool constantly or they've had a really good um, run ahead of Liverpool and they've just managed to maintain it. Whereas Arsenal have never really been in this position before for a good number of years now. And I think for City, it's just the case of making sure that they stay within arm's length of them prior to actually playing Arsenal. I think it's in April time. I think that's the biggest incentive that Guardiola can give his team, which is when they play them to make sure that they have the opportunity to go right behind them. And then it starts to really crank up the pressure of who's going to blink first in terms of, um, you know, dropping points then. But talking of blinking first, Joel, Marley's right. Newcastle have only lost three games all season, two in the Premier League and one was a cup final last weekend. So... You know, Manchester City need to win to keep the pressure on Arsenal because they play before Arsenal. But beating Newcastle home or away has only been done by one club this season in the Premier League. It is. Uh, but if you look statistically, City have beaten Newcastle in each of the last 13 games. But that was prior to Newcastle winning the lottery. So it might be a little bit different this time round. Um, but City have also got the best home record in the league this season as well. 31 points from 36, which is pretty formidable home record so you know that's the thing that City can always bank on which is that their home form consistently manages to stay really well throughout the season it's more so been their away record this season which has really let them down um, but again I'm just interested to see how Newcastle do after that cup final because I know it's took the wind out of the sails massively yeah we'll find out half 12 on Saturday I think in terms of lunchtime kickoffs this is one of the most interesting ones we've had in recent weeks, loads of sort of small narratives and things threading their way through both Newcastle and Manchester City in terms of their respective seasons. I wonder how that one will go. As I say, tw- half 12 on Saturday. Moving on to the other Manchester club who are in a derby match on Sunday afternoon. Liverpool versus Manchester United. Some say the biggest game in English football. Whether you agree with that or not, you can't deny it is a huge match. But there's been far less build-up to this one, I think, Joel. And I think that's because of where either side is at at the moment. Liverpool, after being the dominant side in the northwest of England over the last four or five years under Jurgen Klopp, they're now languishing in mid-table, despite the fact they won their last game. Whereas Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag, of a game every three days... They keep winning them. They beat Barcelona. They beat Newcastle United in a cup final. And, you know, there's another huge match 
on Sunday against Liverpool. Do you think that there is maybe slightly less fanfare when it comes to the build-up of this game, just purely because the two sides aren't quite on the same level competitively as we go into it right now? No chance. Absolutely no chance. Regardless of where the two teams have been, this means a lot for both sets of fans. It can be it can be season-defining in some circumstances. I mean, you have to look at the fact that the last time we beat Liverpool at Anfield was 2016 in the Premier League, which is seven years. And now we're in a position where for the first time in seven years, United go to Anfield in a far, far better position than they are. And that's almost a slight false sense. Are you favourites? Yeah, Manchester United I mean, favorites. you can say that, but again, when you look at our record at Anfield, I still don't feel like United are favourites going into it because it's a ground that is almost a bit of a voodoo ground for us. It's always been difficult. Even when you see Gary Neville talk about it when he used to go with Alex Ferguson with our incredible teams in the 2000s, Regardless of how good we were during that period, it was never, ever a straightforward game. I can never remember a convincing Anfield victory. It's always been, you know, a last-minute um, John O'Shea winner or, for example, uh, Diego Forlan masterclass. It's never been something very straightforward. And that's the thing that gives me a little bit of false sense of security going into it. Um, and like Jurgen Klopp said, though, you know, he's very complimentary towards United. He called us result monsters, which I think is a good way to describe the team at the moment where it just consistently grinds out results. Um, United have got the most points, sorry, most goals from substitutes coming off the bench in Europe. So it just shows Ten Hag is become a very good or he is a very good in-game manager and it's just going to be interesting to see because Liverpool for them they'll probably see it as the perfect game to switch their season around they can still easily get into the top four despite the fact that they seem to be languishing slightly and I think for United it's just an ultra incentive to continue the really good momentum and keep keep track of City because we can go two points behind them um, barring whatever happens in their game so yeah, despite the results, despite the form, despite everything going into it, it really does go out of the window in this one because both teams are very much capable of pulling up a very good result for the, their side. I wish I had the cliche, Bell. Derby match, form goes out the window. That is a classic from Joel Tudor there on Football Social Daily. Cliche. Um, Manchester United are bound to come unstuck soon, Marley. Result monsters aside, they cannot keep winning like this, surely. I think um, I think Man United would be too much. I... I think Liverpool's performances have been um, a little bit helped by... Like, they've been gone under the radar because of the results. Like, against Newcastle, they were outplayed for most of it by us. We should have been ahead in the first 10 minutes. You know, we conceded two goals, which is obviously the, the big the big talking point. But from then on, you know, even when Pope got sent off, they, they allowed us to play and they allowed us to be the control the game um, and I think you've seen that against Real Madrid they they don't have a 90 minute performance in the Liverpool I don't think they have little moments where it sparks and they score and, and everyone oh, we're going to go and win the league now lads blah 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 and it's it doesn't work like that because then they switch off and defensively they are very very weak and I think they always they always have been if you can get at them because you know the, the full backs are um Suspect, let's say, at defending, and the centre back partnership has never been solid. It's never been Van Dyke and Gomez or Van Dyke and Canate. They were at the best when it was Van Dyke and Matip, and he's not played very much this season through injuries. And you know he's he's getting old anyway, so he's, I think he's thirty two, thirty three now. So they're probably going to look at getting rid of him um, and getting a, a long term successor in alongside Van Dyke. But 
I don't think um, there is. I don't think there is hard to get at now. You can you can get at them on the on the counter attack. Whether it's a, a transition in midfield, I think they look weak there. I think they're a bit top heavy as as well. Um, whereas I think Man United with that balance in midfield with Casemiro um, in particular stopping any sort of service into the centre forwards. I think you know um, Shaw is playing out of his skin. I think Shaw against Salah is is something that I'd probably back Man United to win that battle as well. Um, and then everyone else is in is in decent form, you know. You've got got Rashford on fire, obviously, and and everything like that. So, you know, there's there's plenty to worry about for Liverpool, and I don't think they're even though it's at home. I still think Man United would be favourites for the game, and and sort of disappointed if they don't win. To be honest, Klopp says Joel, if there's one side that can get back into the Champions League places and hunt down Newcastle and hunt down Spurs, it's Liverpool. Do you agree? Yeah, 100% I think. <laughs> oh, we'll think it'd be much room to breathe then, Niall, my God. Well, that is it for Friday's Fast 3 here on Football Social Daily. That's us done for another week. We'll be back at it on Monday where myself, Marley and Jim will be going through all of the weekend's action, including having a bit of a Monday moan, which we like to do. So why don't you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss the episode or any subsequent episodes here on the podcast. What are you up to this weekend, lads? You got anything exciting on the cards? Marley, you playing Sunday League again? I am, yeah. This Sunday we've got a, a, a pretty big game, actually. Um, against a, a team just ahead of us in the league. So if we win them, we'll draw them in and uh, drag them down and batter them. And I've just heard they've got a well, what one of the lads described as a roid head <laughs> at centre back. So that'll be fun. So if I'm if I'm not in Monday, it means he's well, you, broken me. Your first touch on your debut for your Sunday League team at the weekend was to get fouled, wasn't it? <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, it was a beautiful first touch. Yeah, but. Yeah, I was always getting ended when I... <laughs> I forget the team. What about the referees? I've seen all sorts of stuff in Sunday League over the years. There's a lino, one lino. There's not enough hands for an assistant referee to have a flag, a can of beer and a cigarette. Or <laughs> you're, running out of, you're running out of fingers to deal with. That's it for Football Social Daily today. We'll catch you on Monday. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.